Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. So I think I want to start our time today just spending a moment. And you can close your eyes if you want or look at the ceiling or gaze down. But I want you to take just a moment and think about all the people that would not be in your life if it weren't for Jesus. Or the other way to put it, all the people that are in your life because of Jesus. But that Jesus is the the reason that you are connected with them. So I'm going to hold the silence and just review names or review faces. As I look at many of you, as you're reviewing, I see smiles. I can even see kind of a change come over, just of like um, a calm as you think of those people. For me, as I started thinking about the people, what happened, and I did this before I even knew I was going to be doing the teaching this week, I was just like, it's everybody, it's everybody, it's everybody in this building, it's some of the people I spend most of my time with, with the exception of like my family, it is everybody, and I was like, what, and then I started, I got like kind of emotional, and I was like, and I got very sentimental, and I could feel tears coming up, but then what often happens to me when that happens is that like my rational brain is like, really, you're just, you're just being sentimental now, you're just getting overly excited because technically what you just thought about is true of any situation. Like any group meets because of a commonality, whether the commonality is like, oh, we really like hockey or, you know, we only knew each other because of the bacon club or, you know, those things. So it's like that's just a fact of having things in common is it draws people together. And so I was like, well, if that's true, if it doesn't really matter specifically the thing, is there really anything different about us than people who are meeting because they really, really, really love role-playing games or they really, really, really love skiing? The question that that raises for me is, is there anything truly different about the community that gathers around Jesus. And we lost our little fuzzy thing that goes on the tip of the microphone. So there's going to be special sound effects throughout the day. I apologize. I'll have to drink water. Um, Anyway, so that raises, is there really anything different about the community that gathers around Jesus? And if there are differences, what are they? Why are they there? And if there aren't any differences, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? So I'm not going to answer that, but I want you to be thinking about that. And I'm going to go ahead and open us up in prayer.
So Jesus, we come to you today. I don't know, as mixed bags. Some of us are really, I don't know, kind of hardly able to even be present right now, Jesus. And I, I pray that you help. Help us be present to you, to this moment. And I pray over our time today, Jesus, that it would be what you want spoken. And I pray for the kids downstairs that the same would be happening there, that they would be present to you, that they would be experiencing you, and that the leaders and teachers would also be feeling you and knowing you through the service of those kids. And I pray for our offering and the ways that, all the ways that we offer, and we ask that you would use it for your glory, for the things that you want done on this earth. And I ask that you would guide us, Jesus, in your truth this morning, that you would teach us your ways. Amen. different is happening on my pages than what I anticipated. Um, there we go. All right, can anyone remember what the name of the series was that we did before the Christmas series? The Christmas series was The Unexpected King. Does anyone remember what the series before that was? That's right! Ah, Naomi always has the answer. She's my friend. I was like, I can ask questions because she will have the answer. <laughs> good, 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 good. Okay. <laughs> um, no, it really does bless me how well she pays attention. Um, all right, so this might be a stretch since you guys couldn't remember the name of the series. <laughs> but does anyone remember like what we, book of the Bible we were studying in the series that we were calling The King? Oh, you guys are good! Look at that! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> My hope has been restored. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the book of Daniel. So when we were prepping for that series and getting ready to um, develop it out, one of the things that we felt really early on from God is that he didn't want us to make the series about Daniel, which is often what happens, because, you know, he wrote the book, it happens in the context of his life, and so it becomes the focus. And there's some, like, amazing, like, kind of hero-level stories in there of um, things that Daniel does and that his friends do, do. And so it makes sense that it becomes the focus. But what we really felt God wanting us to do was to pull out the ways the book is actually about him, the way the book of Daniel is actually about God. And so throughout the series, we covered a lot of things. We also left a whole bunch of things uncovered because it's a really dense book. 
But throughout it, um, we highlighted three kind of themes that we really wanted um, to highlight that we feel are evident throughout the book. And the first was kings and kingdoms come and go, but God is eternal and his plan is unstoppable. God is not unclear, confused, or uncertain about anything past, present, or future. And everyone must choose which king to serve, but we are designed to live under the one true king. Now, the first two themes are very clearly about God, who he is. And throughout the series, we kind of discussed what that means, the fact that those are true, what that means for us, and what that means for the world, and the way we look at things. Uh, But the third one, that one is actually really a little bit more about us as people. It's, It's everyone must choose which king to serve. Everyone meaning all of us. All humans must choose which king to serve. But we are designed to live under the one true king. Now that's a really great saying, I think. It's really good. But like when you sit and think about it, it becomes pretty clear. It's like, oh, well, what does that actually mean? What does that mean that we're designed, that popping? Oh my, is there anything I can do to just bend it more? Oh, it's my, it's down here. Okay, we'll try this a little bit more. I wore pockets today because it usually falls off when I don't have pockets, but now the pockets are the problem. I don't know. Um, Okay, so, um, but what does that actually mean, to choose which king to serve today and to live under that true king? And many of you already know the true king that we're talking about is Jesus. Um, But in case you don't, just to clarify that, when we refer to the true king in this community, the true king we believe is, is Jesus. So what does that mean to be designed to live under the one true king? If you look just at Daniel, that can be pretty confusing because his life, the circumstances of his life, were very, very different than ours. Most of us are not in exile. Most of us are not serving under King Neb or other, like, rulers. And most of us, you know, drive cars and have electricity and all these things that he didn't have. So what does it look like for us today in this time? to choose a king, and then to choose to live under that king's rule. So while we were developing out that king series, I was doing, for my own self, a study on the book of Philippians. Um, and so I just want to talk a little bit about the book of Philippians. But I was, when I say my own study, I just mean it was just for me with some material, and I was working through it just for me, where like as we were working through studying Daniel, that was for preparing. So it was a very different kind of approach, and I was just doing it for myself. So when I was doing this study um, of the book of Philippians, I just want to give a quick rundown for those of you who maybe aren't as familiar with what it's about. So the book of Philippians is actually a letter. We call it a book, but it's a letter, or if you want to be really religious, it's an epistle. Um, It was written around 60 to 62 AD, um, and it was written from a guy named Paul. Now, Paul uh, was a Jewish man who ends up converting to Christianity through this really radical um, conversion experience with Jesus that we can't go into today. Um, But before he had that conversion, he actually was a, a persecutor, a murderer of Christians. He intentionally went out and wanted to squash through death, anybody who was following Jesus. And Jesus chooses him to be the very person who was now going to be bringing his good news of Jesus to the Gentile world, to all the non-Jewish people. Um, So that's just a little background on Paul. 
And he writes the letter to a church in the city of Philippi. Uh, this is a church that Paul, probably around 10 years before he wrote the letter, would have been there to help plant, because back in Paul's day, there weren't churches yet. So he traveled all over, bringing uh, the news of Jesus and gathering people and doing what we would nowadays call a church plant. They didn't call it back then. But gathering people around and supporting them, developing them. And then he'd move to another city to do the same thing all over again. So he's writing back to this church that he had spent some time in. And he's writing this during a time when Rome is the dominant power in the world. Now Rome, you know, most of us have some familiarity with Rome, but one of the things that's important to know for at least Paul and, his, and the Christians was that Rome was very anti-Semitic. They very much hated and thought that any Jewish people were less than, less valuable, less important. And they were treated very badly. And then Rome was also um, very much in belief that the Christians were just this like crazy fringe cult. And they looked at Christians as even kind of less than the Jewish people because it was just this cult that was now welcoming in Gentiles. So Paul was often in trouble with local leaders. That's the other thing that's important to know. And this is in trouble with both Roman leaders and Jewish leaders. None of them really liked him. He was kind of a troublemaker because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he would go about talking about Jesus, he would also demonstrate Jesus through powerful things. And the, God was moving in ways that was threatening the people in power. It was threatening what they wanted to hold on to. And so very quickly to both communities, the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders, Paul became a very serious threat um, and was always being watched very closely and often spent time in jail and other various things um, and fleeing and sneaking out. So when he wrote this letter to the Philippians, Paul was actually under house arrest. House arrest back then looks very different than house arrest now. Back then you were actually chained uh, 24 hours a day to a guard. You were never let free of being attached to one of the Roman guards. And the house that you were kept in, you had to pay rent for, and you had to supply your own food, but you weren't able to work because you were now tied to a guard and kept there. So it was a very um, harsher kind of punishment than we would think in our context of what house arrest means. And so he writes this whole book of Philippians, this whole letter in, in these circumstances. And I want you to keep that in mind as we go on, as to be thinking about that, that that is the state Paul was in when he writes what is often called the happiest book of the Bible, or other people call it the joy book. Um, and when I was choosing to study it, I actually was like kind of tired of hearing about joy and happy, and I, I looked for a book that was going to study it differently. And so the book I chose was like <laughs> Philippians, How to Have Peace in Perilous Times. And I was like, that's the book for me. Um, so anyway, so I was reading, I was doing this study, and I've studied Philippians before, but what was different about this time when I was studying it is that I was studying it while also studying Daniel for our prep work at church. And when I was doing that, I was started noticing there was a lot of parallels between Daniel and Paul. And the more I started noticing, the more excited I got. And I came back to a teaching planning team meeting, um, and I was just like, oh, 
look, this is very exciting stuff. We should try to write a whole paper about it. And David and Caleb were like, no, <laughs> we're not going to do that. Let's stay focused. But I did get excited. So these were some of the things that I noticed um, as I was studying them together. So Daniel is under an, impress- an oppressive ruler in government. Paul is under an oppressive ruler in government. Daniel is persecuted by people in power who are regularly threatening his life primarily just because of who he is and what he believes. Paul is persecuted by people in power who are regularly threatening his life because of who he is and what he believes. Daniel is in exile and forced to serve under a king and has all his freedoms removed from him. Paul is under house arrest um, and has all his freedoms taken from him. Daniel likes long walks by the sea Paul likes long walks by the sea. I could just see there was some like, hmm, getting drowsy, so I just want to wake you up. They might have both liked long walks by the sea, I don't know, but that's not recorded in scripture. Um, but despite like those circumstances that they were under, the other thing is that both of these men chose to keep following and obeying God and doing things that were like risky and hard and Uh, wore their bodies and wore out their minds. And both these men throughout that remain what I would call unnaturally humble. (laughs) Like they cared about the state of the hearts of their captors. They prayed for them. They actually wanted them to know God. They remained respectful even when no respect was earned. Um, Very unnatural to do that to people who are imprisoning you. And both men keep their trust in God even though The circumstances of their lives, the circumstances of the communities, the cities, the world they were in, seemed like it was in total chaos and totally unstable. And they were able to keep that whole time hope and trust in God. And so even though they lived like hundreds of years apart in very, very different circumstances, like there was, I think, plumbing now, I don't know, in the the Roman times it wasn't there, right? Like life was different. Many things had changed. Culture had very much changed. And even though all those things were different, um, there was something not different. And it clicked for me in a way that, you know, I don't know, it just gets me excited when things click. But it's like, oh, we kept saying earlier throughout the whole King series that God is unchanging and is eternal. And then I realized it's like, oh, what it looks like for the people of God, those people who choose to live under his rule, to make him their king, what it looks for, like for them at the core, that also remains the same. That never changes. Regardless of what's happening in culture or what's happening in our lives or even what's happening in our bodies and to our health, whatever circumstances are happening, at the very core, what it looks like for the people of God to follow God remains the same. So that's why in the weeks to come, we are going to be studying the book of Philippians because I was super excited. I was like, can we please study the book of Philippians? But also because David and Caleb and I, we were praying and we really sensed God was doing something on this. And we're going to be studying it with the purpose of asking those questions. What what is it about the people of God that's different? And is there anything different? And if it is, what are those core things? What are those things that remain the same for the people that choose to follow God, and we're calling those people, right, the people of the King. So if you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're saying, Jesus is my ruler. He doesn't just save me, he rules me. And so then we are his people, the people of the King. So that's what we're going to be doing for the weeks to come. 
but I'm not going to focus too much in on that today because I just felt like God wanted me to do something else. So throughout the series, The People of the King, we are also going to be doing like little segments, and it will look different like week to week and teacher to teacher, but we're going to be doing little segments, maybe. Oh, we do it. <laughs> Where we'll have tips and tools for engaging scripture and studying the Bible. And, you know, most of you here, I think, as I look at you, are probably like, yeah, the Bible's important. Tips and tricks, tools, whatever, those are valuable, that'll be good. And so I could just stop right there. I don't really need to repeat the importance of the Bible. But when I tried to do something else, I really did just keep feeling the Spirit come back and say, no, let's talk about why. Why are we going to spend time doing tips and tools about engaging Scripture and studying the Bible? And even if we cover the why only just because we need to be reminded of how valuable and important the Bible is, to just be reminded of things we already know, it can be really easy, at least for me, to take things for granted that are very accessible to me. Um, so, uh, earlier this week, I was watching this uh, documentary about babies, which I like to call babies. <laughs> the babies, and it was about the baby brains and how complex they are and how they're actually way more complex than we realize and that it's even so sooner than we realize. And one of the th things they started discussing was that um, our brains are innately wired to learn, which kind of most of us know. But what they're discovering is that that mechanism starts operating almost immediately. And that what's unique about humans is that humans have the ability to choose what they learn. They get to just make a choice about what they're going to learn. You know, like, oh, I want to learn to ski or I want to learn to start doing taxidermy or whatever you want to learn to do. We have that, the freedom to choose that, and that's uniquely human. And we've kind of known that for a while, but what they've been surprised is how soon we start choosing. And this was one of my favorite parts about it. It's like babies, you know, they can't do a whole lot when they're three, four months old, but they can move their eyes. And what they've discovered through all these studies is that when babies are done learning about gravity or the thing that's falling, whatever, they just refuse to look at it. They'll turn their eyes away, which made me laugh quite a bit. But it's also really fascinating that it starts so much earlier, this ability to choose what we will learn or not learn, and that we do. I mean, we have the adult versions of that, of just looking away when we're bored with something. Um, so, you know, throughout, I don't know, time-wise, but for a while, we have really felt God bringing us back to the same word over and over. As we pray for the church, as we pray for the direction of the church, the word love just keeps coming back over and over. And we did love university, and we keep coming back to those themes about loving God and loving others. And we feel God's invitation to grow in this. We feel his challenge to grow in this, and we take it really seriously. We really believe that this is what God is doing. So it's why you see it echoed in all the things that we're doing, including even that brunch. That was around this thing that God is calling us to do about growing and loving him and growing and loving others. But I believe that part of that growing, part of doing that, if we want to do that as individuals, but also as a community to grow in love is going to require a choice. The same kind of choice that like we have if something is worth learning to us or not, that we have to make a choice to actually grow in loving God and grow in loving others. And that in that choice, it's going to be a learning process. 
And what I believe, personally, but I think others would agree, is that if we want to grow in loving God and loving others, that it is not possible to grow without this, without our Bibles. It is not possible to grow in love without integrating this into our lives to greater and greater degrees. Choosing to learn from this to greater and greater degrees. Near the start of his letter um, in Philippians, Paul writes this, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What's interesting to me about this prayer of Paul's is that he's praying that our love may abound more and more. And he could have just left it at that, but what he wants our love to abound more and more with is knowledge and discernment. And what's interesting about those two words that gets a little lost in translation is that word knowledge in the Greek word is talking about experiential knowledge. It's a knowledge that comes from direct encounter. It's a knowledge that's about something very intimate. It's a very personal, real thing happening. It's that kind of knowledge. And then the word discernment is, it has a lot to it behind it, but it's connected to also understanding, to really knowing something. Maybe we would call it comprehension or cognition, but it's an actual knowledge, the taking in of knowledge that shapes our ability to perceive and judge the things before us correctly. So when Paul prays for our love to abound, to overflow, is what I would say abound means, but to abound more and more, He's praying that it would do that through knowledge and discernment because he knows that love, the way God thinks of love, is only going to grow if we have those two things. If we have those personal knowledge, direct encounter with the love of God, but also the right way to understand, the right way to interpret, the right way to have a um, correct view of the things that are happening to us. Because you could have a really cool supernatural experience or this, like, ooh, I feel God, and actually have totally uh, incorrect interpretation of what that event was just about. And on the other side, you can actually know all the details of the Bible. You can be very studied and very memorized about all the things in it, know all the history, know how it all places, and completely miss God. Does that make sense what I'm saying, how the things are separate? Experience and understanding are both needed for our love in this community to increase towards God, towards others. Now, I didn't always have um, a great love for the Bible, especially after they took my children's Bible from me. No, they didn't really take it, but they gave me the grown-up Bible, which I was really excited to get. But then when I got it, I was like, this is the worst. Bring me back my pictures and my short stories and the things that made sense. Like this, this boggled my mind. And as I grew, this was actually the Bible I got when I had been baptized. As I grew, what started to happen as I read this is actually what I experienced more often than not was confusion. And then with that confusion, condemnation. And with that condemnation, I started seeing everything through that lens of like, oh, maybe God doesn't actually really like me. And so this whole thing became the worst. <laughs> I, was, I did not like it. And I read it every day, 
solely, honestly, because I had this belief, even though it's not in the Bible, that God keeps a tally. You know, it's like you see them there, it's like, okay, Danielle read it today, and so-and-so read it today, so-and-so didn't. Like, I thought that that was kind of happening. That was the underlying motivation. So I was reading it daily, even though it was torturing me. And it was actually part of pushing me almost away from God, because I was filling with information, but I was missing that knowledge part. I was missing the experiential part. And then there was things happening as I grew older with this that was like disturbing. There was people who use it almost like incantations or he, like I remember who the like Russian roulette, like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then they would go and they would read and like, this is what he wants me to do. And then I saw it weaponized. I saw this book used to make people think they were worthless, that they were bad. And I had this book weaponized against me to say that I was worthless worth less than others, had this book used to make me feel like I was bad. It was a really long time and a process to get to the point where I am today, where I could say genuinely with my heart and mind and soul that this is how we'll grow in part in loving others and loving God. It was an effortful journey. It was a time-lengthy journey. But what I can say on the other side of it that I felt like God really wanted me to say today is that God doesn't want this Bible to hurt you or anyone else. That's not what it's for. It's not meant to be a burden. It's not meant to be a weapon. This book, and this is my new one. I have more. I didn't bring them all. Um, This collection of writing, this, this is the primary way we get to know who God is. It's how we understand who we are. It's like what I was saying earlier about this building and all of us knowing each other. We wouldn't without Jesus. This building wouldn't exist without Jesus. But we wouldn't really know who Jesus was without this. There's no way to know Jesus without this. Zero. This is his story. From the beginning to the end, Jesus is throughout this book. This is his book. This is about him. It reveals him, it has been revealing him, and it will continue to reveal him. It's his story. But I really want to emphasize that this Bible by itself, eh, it's just an interesting book at the best, and harmful at the worst. For the people of the king, reading and knowing information is never enough. Reading and knowing this can just lead to self-righteous pride. But the people of the king, we are a people of spirit and truth. Which means we don't just know facts. We just don't know facts about Jesus. We don't just read about Jesus. We don't just have information about Jesus. We don't just talk about Jesus. We actually experience and encounter Jesus. The people of God are a people of spirit and truth. When we're here and we gather, and I know this has happened to many of you, and we're worshiping and we start crying and we don't know why. We don't have a reason to cry, but the tears just start coming. It's because of this book we know that's the Holy Spirit. God's interacting with you right now. We know that because of this. 
when we see a tree or a scene or a sunset that's like, oh, this is beautiful, and our body just responds with like joy, and we're like, oh, this is so amazing, and we're filled with awe and wonder, this book tells us that's happening because we're seeing a bit of the glory of God. We're seeing the love of God in the world that he has created, and we know that because of this. When we look at the world and we see the pain and the the suffering and the abuses of power and war and destruction and death, when we see all that and our hearts ache and we're actually filled with disgust and we want change and we're fed up with the things that are wrong, this book tells us that's there, those feelings are there because we are made in the image of God who is humble and just and righteous We have those responses not because we're human. We have those responses because we're made in his image. Dallas Willard um, said this, and I always, it just stuck with me because I always found it very helpful. But not all of scripture is written to us, but all of scripture is written for us. Not all of scripture is written to us, but all of it is written for us. Paul, when he was writing Philippians, probably didn't have any of us in mind. He was thinking about the people of this church that he invested in, that he loved, that loved him back. He was thinking about the God that captured his heart, the Jesus that he would die for. He was thinking about those things. Very unlikely us. But God was thinking about us. He was thinking about us gathered as a group together here this morning when he made this book available, this letter available to us. He had us in mind. God had us in mind when he made sure that all of this got to be collected to help us, to grow us. He had us in mind. So the worship team can come on up. My uh, tip and invitation this week are combined. But what I'd like to invite us into doing is just start to share our experiences of the Bible to each other. And by to each other, I mean, you can do it outside of people of this community, but I, what I'm meaning today is us. Share with people here. Share with the people that you gather with because of knowing Jesus. And when I say share, I mean the range. Like, if you don't read it, consider sharing the reasons why. Or consider sharing the reasons why when you do read it, you experience fr- frustration or confusion. Just be open about it. And if you do read it regularly, if you already have developed it as a part of your learning, the choice that you've made to engage in it, like, share with others the ways that you interact with God as a result of it. Share with others those stories of the way God directly moves you and grows you because of your time in Scripture. Okay.